All right, uh, today's speakers are some history here. Uh, his name's Mark Erickson. He's actually the associate executive pastor at Faith Evangelical in Billings. And what's cool about uh, that church is that they uh, planted Harvest, and then Harvest Church ultimately planted us. Uh, and both the lead pastor from Harvest and Journey uh, used to be student pastors at, at Mark's church. So uh, it's a cool thing to have him up. And so would you please give him a warm Journey welcome, Mark Erickson. Thanks, John. Thank you, John, and good morning, everyone. I'm glad you're here this morning, and uh, trust that you've come to worship and to learn and to... Uh, just expand in your journey with Christ. We're talking about experiencing Jesus this morning, and John's been introducing me as kind of the, the person from your grandmother's church, and I'm not sure how I feel about that. You might have an image kind of inside your head of what that might look like, and I'd like to get that out of your head and uh, talk a little bit about uh, maybe your grandmother's God more than anything else and, and look at Jesus this morning and the centrality of Jesus and the supremacy of Jesus and who He is and what He means to our experience when it comes to our, our life journey with Him. So if you have your Bibles, you turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1. I'm going to look at, uh, kind of throughout this passage, I'm just going to read one verse with you this morning, and then we're going to kind of uh, work our way through the passage as we look at some of the spiritual blessings that God has for us in Christ. And uh, this is one of those passages I love to kind of go through. Uh, it's, a, it's just a, it's a passage kind of full of a lot of meat. Uh, there's certain passages in Scripture that you can go through that don't have as much meat. They're meaningful, but they just don't have as much meat, like, uh, you know, some of the the genealogies and stuff like that. But you come here and this is, it's just full of meat. And it's one of those passages I kind of get to the end of and I think, wow, we are really blessed when we think about our relationship with Jesus. And wherever you are with your relationship with Him, maybe you haven't even entered into a relationship with Him. I hope this encourages your heart here this morning as we uh, read through this. Let me just read for us. Ephesians 1 and verse 3, it says this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Say those words again, with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Will you just say that with me? With every spiritual blessing in Christ. Paul kind of begins this letter to the church at Ephesus, young church, and they're growing and they're trying to, to work out their salvation, live out their life with Christ. And he begins the letter by talking to them and encouraging them and really reminding them of who they are in Christ. I think it's C.S. Lewis who once said, we don't often need to be informed as much as we need to be reminded. Well, right here, he reminds them. He reminds them, this is who you are in Jesus. And what I'd like to do this morning, I want to kind of go through a list of things. I think I have seven this morning. I want to quickly kind of work our way through this list and look at these spiritual blessings. It says, every spiritual blessing in Christ. And so let's look at some of these spiritual blessings and what are they? And, uh, and then we're going to kind of close it up uh, with, a, with a kind of a closing thought, okay? Here's the first one he gives. He gives it in verse 4. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. He chose us. And it means if we are in Christ, if we are walking in grace, there's a sense that he looks at us and it says he chose us. And I love the fact that we're chosen. I mean, don't you like to be chosen? I kind of go back to grade school and I think of, you know, being on the playground and choosing up teams and, you know, I always like to be chosen first. I wasn't always chosen first and maybe for some of you that's kind of it's almost nightmarish to think about, you know. You were one of the kids that just didn't get chosen first. You got, like, chosen last. It's almost more by default than anything else. I've been there, too. That's not a great feeling. But to be chosen, to be looked at, say, I want you on the team, to be chosen that way, that's the picture I get inside my head here. 
He looks at us and he says, the spiritual blessing that you have is the fact that God looks at you and he chooses you to be a part of who, his team, be a part of, of, of who he is. God chooses us. Now, I remember a kid when I was in elementary, his name was Mark Fagan, and maybe it was his first name, I don't know, but something about Mark Fagan, I had a heart for him because he was always chosen last. In fact, he was, every time, he was chosen by default more than anything, out of obligation. It's like, Mark's left, I guess we'll take him on our team. In fact, it was almost like the people who were up there choosing, they'd count off, we've got so many people, and who's going to get Mark at the end? It was that kind of kid, and yet he had a heart that just loved to play. He wanted to be involved. He wanted to be on a team, and, and he gave 110% all the time. Wasn't really gifted, but he gave 110%. I still remember the day, and again, I think it was probably his name. I don't know what else it was, but I remember the day when I was the one choosing. I thought, today, I'm going to make Mark's day. <laughs> I'm choosing Mark first. And most of the time, Mark stood up there, and he just kind of held his head low like this, waiting for everybody else to be chosen around him. And that day I said, Mark Fagan, I want you on my team. You're my first choice. Not my last, but my first. I remember what kind of day that made for Mark. His eyes brightened. He could not believe he'd been chosen. And I kind of get that feeling sometimes. I think about how God chooses us. It's like, he didn't have to, but he did. It's like, wow, he chose me. But Paul writes and says one of the great spiritual blessings that we have is the fact that we know we have been chosen by him. He goes on and he says that he also adopted us. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and his will. Adopted. If we are part of God's family, we are adopted. Do you know that? It's a picture that's often given in Scripture a number of times that we are adopted. We're not naturally born into his family, but if we're, we're in his family, it's because he has adopted us. John 1 tells us that God really has no naturally born children. It says, yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God. Children not born out of natural descent or of a human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. They've been adopted into his family. I wish my family could be here today. Uh, they actually, they wanted to come up, and uh, my wife two days ago had surgery. She's had a tendon that's really bugged her for a couple, well, it's been a year. She finally had surgery on that Friday, so she just wasn't able to make it. My mother's kind of there watching with the kids. And this is my family, and uh, we have four children. Uh, my wife, Shelly, she's my, I call her my standard of beauty, because she is, and we're going to be celebrating 19 years this next week. And so, yeah, it's, a, it's an awesome thing. Uh, how God has grown himself up in both of us and how he's changed us and how he continues to do that. And Luke is our oldest. He's 10 years old. He's the one with the Minnesota shirt on there, and uh, he loves Minnesota. If you want to know anything about the Minnesota Twins, yes, Luke, and he'll tell you. I mean, he knows their batting averages and right down to just anything. Uh, but Luke is just, uh, he's a great kid. And our next one is Ryan. He's our little redhead there. And uh, Ryan is, uh, he's an interesting character. Uh, you know, people tend to observe him when we're out as a family. They watch him just because he seems to give the biggest show. And uh, I don't know how else to say it. And we were in a swimming pool one time and a guy came over to me afterwards and he kind of pulled me aside. He says, hey, hey man, he says, he says, you got a really nice family. I said, hey, thanks a lot. He says, and that little redhead of yours, he's a pistol, isn't he? I said, yes, he is. And but that's Ryan. And then Seth is the one on the far, your far left, uh, my far right. And Seth is about five years old, and uh, he's, uh, he's just a character. He loves life. He's just a happy-go-lucky kind of kid and just always going. And then Ellie is our two-year-old who is our biggest challenge. 
Uh, everybody told us that boys are harder to raise than girls when they're really young. And I'm just here to tell you that's not true. <laughs> Whoever said that lied. Because I was expecting a little girl who would sit down and play with dolls all the time and stuff like that. And I, she does that, but she doesn't do it long. And she's just a challenging young lady sometimes. And we were out in our yard just last week. We were out in our yard. Our neighbor had come over and we're kind of you know, just befriending him and sharing the Lord with him. And he was over there and we were doing some outdoor work there. And everybody was kind of around the yard. And all of a sudden I looked up and I was like, where'd, where'd Ellie go? And she was gone. I mean, we looked in the house and outside and we didn't know where she was. And so we started looking around the neighborhood. We found her two blocks away checking somebody's mail. <laughs> yeah, and I, I just, I, it floored me. I, said, I, I gave her the old, you know, that's a federal offense speech. And uh, <laughs> someday you're going to be in jail if you keep this up. So stop that. But uh, she's just, she's always on the go. But anyways, this is my family. And most people, when they look at our family, you know, they kind of look at Ryan and he kind of doesn't fit because Luke looks a lot like Shelly and her side of the family and Seth, he looks a lot like my side of the family. And Ellie, it's, it's kind of it's funny because Ellie, you know, you take a picture of her when she was a little girl and you take a picture of my mom when she was a little girl and you would swear they were twins. I mean, it's that close. And uh, you look at them and, and, and my mom actually really likes that. Um, but Ryan, he just doesn't fit. He's got the red hair and none of his features seem to fit. And, and part of the reason is he's adopted. There's a time in, in our lives when we said yes to Ryan. But the truth is about our family is that all four of our children are adopted. Each one of them, there came a point where we said yes to bringing them into our family and saying we're going to give you every right that any naturally born children, child would have in our family. We, we want to make you a part of our family. In fact, Luke, it was the very first day that we, 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 were, able to, um, we were able to be you know, get, we were able to receive our children when they were relatively young. I mean, Luke was like three or four days, and, and Ryan was just a couple of days. We were, at the, we were in the birth room with Seth and Ellie. So that was kind of a neat experience just to watch the miracle of childbirth. And it's actually with, with Seth, we were, we were on the way when we were pulled over by a policeman about 2 o'clock in the morning. We were pulled over because my wife was telling me to go faster, and so I did, Right? <laughs> And uh, they pulled us over, and it was kind of really comical because he pulled me over. I rolled my window down, and he came up, and, and I said, I said, we're having a baby, and his eyes just got big. And he looked over at my wife, who was not pregnant, <laughs> and, uh, he, and, and then he looked back at me, and I had to go through and kind of explain. I said, well, it's actually our birth mother who's having a baby in Fargo, North Dakota, and we're on our way there right now. And so he took my license, went back, and he came back, literally, he's almost laughing, and he says, I really don't know what to do. He says, I, 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 I'm not going to give you a ticket, he says, because if you're telling me the truth, I'd hate to give you a ticket right now. And he says, he says and if you're not telling me the truth, he says, I've been, a, I've been a policeman 20 years and I've never heard one this good before. <laughs> so, so I actually told my wife, I said, I know how to get out of any ticket now, uh, as long as she's with me in the car. No, but so, so these are our kids. And, and Luke, when he was born, our oldest, we were in the hospital the day after he was born. I remember I had him on my lap because they'd sent the birth mother home and they kept him an extra day. And I had him on my lap and just in my daily quiet time, I was kind of going through the book of John and I, was, I happened to be on John 15. And when I read John 15, it's kind of that passage where Jesus is talking to his disciples and he's kind of preparing them for his death and, and yet he's encouraging them. And, and in John 15, he, he, he's looking at his disciples, he's teaching them and, he's, and he looks at them and says, you did not choose me, but I chose you. And that morning was, a, was just a breakthrough in my thinking as far as 
who I am to God. Because I looked down at my son Luke, my new son Luke, and I said, you know what? You have nothing, absolutely nothing to do with what's happening right now. I mean, in fact, you're pretty oblivious to the whole thing. You didn't choose me. Oh, but I chose you. I've consciously chosen you to be adopted into our family. I believe when God does that for us, it's just a spiritual blessing that we experience in our life where God says, I want you to be a part of my family. Thirdly, he gives us his grace. He gives us his grace. Tells us in verse 6, to the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given in the one he loves. Grace, really, at the heart of grace is the fact that God gives to us something we really don't deserve. We don't deserve his grace, but he gives it because he loves us. It comes out of his love, the fact that he is a God who is love. We typically look at the cross when we think about grace, and don't get me wrong, that is grace, but like one author says, grace really is the beginning, the middle, and the end of, of all our spiritual journey and our spiritual life with him. I mean, it's grace, it's grace really that brings us to the cross and calls us to the cross. It's, it's grace that allows us to respond to the cross, but it's also grace that keeps us going after the cross. There's all kinds of grace that are, that's really communicated in Scripture. We have God's revealing grace, and then we have His searching grace. We have that grace that saves, but we also have that grace that transforms and the grace that heals. We have the grace that sustains and the grace that overcomes and the grace that gives great power for living day to day. The author here, Paul, says one of the great spiritual blessings that you and I have is the blessing that God is a God who gives us his grace, his favor. Number four, verse seven, we experience a redemption. Verse seven says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. It's quite an awesome privilege that we have being in Christ to be redeemed. We all need saving. It's too bad that we need saving, but isn't it good that God looks at us and says, they're worth saving. He deems us worthy of being saved. And uh, we have a God who gives us that experience of redemption. We don't often take time maybe just say thank you, God, for that and be grateful for that. I don't know about you, but just my day-to-day, I don't often take time to do that. Our little Ryan, uh, he comes up with some pretty good ones sometimes, and um, we were playing with a Frisbee out in the yard here a couple of years ago, and I think Luke threw it up on the roof on purpose. I'm not sure, but he threw the Frisbee and tried to get it on the roof and finally did. And So I got the ladder out, and I was going to go up and get it. And Ryan pipes up and says, Dad, I want to go up and get it. I think he was four or five at the time, so I said, sure, why not? Get up on the roof, go get it. <laughs> so he climbed this eight-foot ladder and got on the roof and kind of helped him up out of there on the roof. And he walked up to the Frisbee, which was about halfway up the the slope there, and he turned around and he, and he saw how, how steep it was and the drop and the ground below, and he just froze. And I could just tell right away, he's petrified. He's just like, oh, I'm not moving right now. And so um, I did what every good dad would do. I said, will you just throw the Frisbee first and we'll worry about this other later. And so he threw the Frisbee and got that off the roof. And, and I'm not sure why this is, but moms never come out when everything's going good. You know what I mean? It's just like an innate sense that they have. And Shelly actually walked out the door about the moment Ryan froze. And she asked me the question, she says, what's going on out here? To which I have to admit, I probably lied. I said, well, nothing. 
And I expected her to go back in the house, but she came out and she saw Ryan up there, and then she froze. I said, honey, it's going to be okay, really. I'll get him. And so I climbed up the ladder. You know how it is, and you go up there. And I, They say that the average woman doesn't trust her husband with kids, and I'm not sure why that is. <laughs> um, but anyways, I walked up the roof. I grabbed Ryan. I brought him down to the ladder, and we got on the ladder together. And we're at the very top run, just try, kind of getting off the roof. And he looks up at me. And just with the most innocent eyes, he says, Daddy, thanks for saving me. Uh, yeah, do that again, will you? That sounds good. Oh, <laughs> thanks for saving me. And a spiritual reality hit me as I began to descend down the ladder. I just thought about what an innocent way of just saying thank you and being grateful. And I thought, oh, Lord, how many times do I take time just in my day just to say, thank you, Lord, for saving me? And, uh, you know, I got off that ladder with Ryan, and he went off and he played. And I just took time, kind of with my foot on the bottom rung, and just looked up to heaven and said, oh, God, I don't often say this. I don't say it near enough, but God, thank you. Thank you so much for saving me. Paul writes to the Ephesians, he says, this is a spiritual blessing that you have in Christ. Redemption. Fifth, understanding the mystery. It tells us that we now understand the mystery. We find it in verse 9. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ. I like a good mystery. Normally, I like a good mystery, I should say. I love to try to figure things out. Some of you are like that. Some of you could care less. But those of you that like that, you know what we're talking about. We like to ask questions and figure things out. And we, we like that good mystery. Ellie, my, my daughter, my two-year-old, who is very innocent, hid my phone a couple weeks ago for two days. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we're pretty tied to our cell phones. I, I didn't realize how tied I was. And we don't actually have a landline, so it's like my only mode of communication. And she took it and she hid it. And I searched the whole house and asked all kinds of questions, and I could not find it. In fact, I tried to bribe my other boys. I said, if you find my cell phone, I'll give you $10. <laughs> and they never could find it because she's pretty, she's pretty good at hiding it. And the truth is, we really didn't know if she hid it or not. We were just kind of guessing. I was about 95% sure. And I kept coming up to Ellie, and I said, Ellie, I would like you to find my cell phone for me. And every time I asked her to do that, she'd look up to me, and she'd say, Daddy... I'll find it for you later. <laughs> and I would come back and say, no, Ellie, I want you to find it now. I'll find it for you later. This went on for two days. And finally, evening came, and I put her down to bed, and um, she says, Daddy, I'm hungry. She says, I want some Honey Nut Cheerios. I said, Ellie, you're going to bed. You find my phone, you can have Honey Nut Cheerios. I had my phone in five minutes. Isn't that incredible? And I looked at my wife. I said, she knew. She knew the whole time. She knew. She knew where it was. But I love, I love understanding the mysteries. Paul writes here and he says, there's a mystery that we now know because of Christ and who he is. Isn't that great? It's kind of the mystery that the prophets, and First Peter talks about the prophets, they long to look into it. The prophets who had kind of a picture or a blueprint of this is what the Messiah would look like and this is what he would do and this would be his actions, part of his life. 
The prophets, it said, they looked into it and they longed to see it because they hadn't solved the mystery yet. It hadn't happened. They were talking in the, I mean, this was the, the events of the Messiah were to come in the future. And so they longed to look into that. And Paul writes to the Ephesians and says, now after Christ has lived and died and given himself and raised from the dead, now we look back. He says, we understand the mystery. The mystery is no longer a mystery for it. He has given us part of the spiritual blessings. We have that understanding now of who Jesus is and why he came and what he does. And so we now understand the mystery, a spiritual blessing, he says, for us. Number six, he included us. Verse 13, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Not only does he save us, but then he wants us to be a part of his team. He wants us to be a part of who he is. And so he includes us into his family. He wants us to be busy about his kingdom work. He wants us to literally bring heaven on earth. As part of when the, when the disciples asked Jesus, how do we pray? Jesus said, well, this is how you pray. And part of that prayer is, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He's not saying, pray that someday you'll experience heaven in heaven. He says, pray that you'll experience heaven on earth. And how that happens is as we are included, we are part of his kingdom. We participate, we have position, we have purpose for our life. Paul says that's a spiritual blessing that not only does he save us, but he says, now I want you to be busy about the kingdom. So you come in here to church today, and it's great to be at Journey. I've, I've never been at a, a Journey service. I've been up here a couple times and haven't taken in a service. And I've heard a lot about you, but I think it's great that we come together, and it's like heaven on earth here. It's like, it's like we get together, and this is part of God's body working together. But it's not just here, is it? It's also out there. It's like as we go out. What did you call it, the sweet pea? Is that what you called it? The sweet pea. You know, as we go out there, it's like we take God's kingdom with us. And Paul says... The spiritual blessing is that he includes us in such a way that as we go around, we're taking his kingdom with us and we get to actually share it. You know, I'm reminded of the fact, you know, like we, we joke about, I'm from the grandmother church. But I thought, there's always somebody who's come before who's us, who's invested in us so that we can be where we're at today. What I love about Journey, when I look at you guys and I see that here's a church that has been invested in and that's why you are who you are today, but you also are investing in others investing in other churches and planning other churches because, because their well-being depends on us doing that and being included as well. So he says we were included in his kingdom as part of the spiritual blessing that we have. We have a purpose in life, why we're here. And finally, we're marked with a seal. Verse 13, when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. There's great security that God desires us to experience in him talks about being marked with a seal here. There's a sense of security that God gives to us. It's a picture of, of that hot melted wax. And in those days, you had the signet ring that was dipped into the wax and put on a letter in order to seal it. But it was more than just sealing it. It, 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 it signified so much more than that. There was an authority to that ring. It was because whoever the bearer of that ring was, that seal that went forth from there also carried his authority. I mean, it was like they looked at it and said, this is a genuine thing. This is who that person is. And it carried all the authority of that person. So there's an authenticity to it. It was protected by that person. It's like you mess with that letter in a wrong way. You're messing with the person who wears that ring. But it also represented that person. This letter is sent as a representation of the person who bears the ring. And so that's the imagery that Paul's giving us. He says, you were marked with the seal. The spiritual blessing is that it's like you're a letter and God has put his signet ring on your life. So that when people look at you, they say, this is the real deal. 
This is the authentic Christ follower. This is what it looks like. And we are to represent him in such a way that it's not about us, it's about him and his kingdom. This is a spiritual blessing that he shares here with us. So we have all these spiritual blessings. And I kind of get to the end of this list, and I don't know, this isn't a, this is a real deep theological word, but I, I use the word wow. It's like, wow, look at everything that we, that we have at our disposal as spiritual blessings because of what Jesus has done. Okay, that was my introduction. <laughs> Let me give you my short sermon, okay? I believe Paul in this passage is communicating something far deeper than just the spiritual blessings that we have. There's something that's interwoven here as a common denominator that if we, that if we don't catch it, it's like Paul is, is purposely helping us to see these are the spiritual blessings, but it's almost need to take it another step deeper and understand it's not just about these things, it's more about who gives us these things. If you go back through this list, I'm not going to take time to do it right now, but if you go back through this list, every one of these spiritual blessings, Paul points it back to the life and, the, and the, really the ministry of Jesus. He looks at We've been chosen. How? We've been chosen in Him. We've been adopted. How? We've been adopted by Him. We've been redeemed. How? We've been redeemed through His blood. Every time He talks about a spiritual blessing, He brings us back to this common denominator that says it's in Christ. I believe there's a huge temptation in our world today to think that somehow we can experience spiritual blessings outside of Christ. And Paul in this passage, I think, emphatically shares there's nothing that we experience that, that's good as far as a spiritual blessing in this world outside of Jesus. And he's reminding the Ephesian people, he says, don't forget about who gives you these good gifts. Don't forget about, yeah, you have the gifts, but don't forget about the giver. If I can say it this way, he's really communicating not as much the, the what as much as the who. It's all about Jesus. It's not about experiencing all these things. We tend to experience them naturally as we go along in our spiritual journey if our focus is on Jesus. If we chase the things and neglect Jesus... We miss out on both. Does that make sense? And so he's calling them to keep the focus. Don't forget it's about Jesus. And he reminds them of that. You know, we don't always have the rest of the story, so to speak, in Scripture. We have Paul that wrote to a lot of different churches about issues that they were facing, and we don't have the final chapter, so to speak. The unique thing about the church at Ephesus is that we actually have a window into their life a little bit later in Scripture. We have this book written by Paul, and we later have the book of Revelation written by John, and in the book of Revelation, God addresses seven churches. One of them is the church at Ephesus. Listen to what God communicates to the church at Ephesus. 
He says, to the angel of the church at Ephesus write, these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Busy church, good church. And yet he says, I hold this one thing against you. You have forsaken the love that you had at first. Consider how far that you have fallen. Repent and do the things that you did at first. Somewhere along the line between Paul's writing to the people at Ephesus and the writing in Revelation, they lost their focus. Somewhere along the line, they did good things and they were involved in good things and they were busy as a church doing good things and they didn't grow weary in doing it, it says. Somewhere between here and there, they lost their focus. And God's Spirit communicates back to them and says, do the things that you did at first. Remember that in your spiritual journey, it's not just about experiencing all these things, it's about experiencing Jesus. And as you experience Jesus, He will bring all the good gifts that He desires to give you along the way. Experience Jesus. I want to encourage you today as we sit in this nice auditorium to experience Jesus. Wherever we are in our spiritual journey, whatever that looks like for you. I'm not saying that work is bad. I'm not saying that being involved in, in, in just doing ministry is wrong. But taking time to experience Jesus in the midst of that keeps us strong for all those other things. Don't neglect the who. We see everything that God gives to us, but it's everything. It's in Christ. I was driving. Um, for me, anytime I drive, it seems to be like good thinking time. So oftentimes I don't even have the radio on or anything else. I just think. And I was driving uh, some years ago, northern Minnesota. And, and as we were kind of, I was driving along. I was all alone. And I was thinking about uh, you know, God had blessed us with Luke at the time, so uh, it was just our one son. And Luke had this thing where, and he had nothing to do with it, but when we put him down at night, it was like you always knew exactly when he fell asleep. It was like you could give him his bottle and then you could hold him in your arm and kind of carry him around, but there came a point where it's just like all of a sudden his whole body would go limp, and you just knew, okay, Luke right now is sleeping. And we didn't have that with any of our other children, but with Luke we did. It's just like every night I could tell, oh, Luke's sleeping, I can put him down. Which, by the way, is a wonderful thing for a parent, isn't it? Because otherwise you're just guessing, are they asleep, aren't they, you know, type thing. But we just put him down and, I mean, he was sleeping, he was out. And I was driving there in northern Minnesota and I was kind of just on the highway just kind of thinking about that, thinking that's a kind of a neat thing for a parent, I wish every kid came with that, and, and thinking about that. And you know, I didn't hear an audible voice, but I was in a season of ministry where I was pretty busy and doing a lot of good things. But the thought came to me, and the thought went something like this. Hey, Mark, how long has it been for you? How long has it been since you just rested and fell asleep and trusted me like Luke does when he falls asleep in your arms? 
I had to admit, it had been some time. I was almost in tears. I just said, oh God, help me never to lose the sensitivity where I just rest in you, where I take time to listen to you, where I take time not to give but to receive from you. Help me to trust you like that. Again, ministry is great. But really when it comes down to it, it really is. It's just about Jesus. I'm going to have you just bow your heads with me this morning as we kind of bring our service to a close. And the worship team's going to come up. They're going to sing a couple more songs. And uh, this morning, will you just take maybe a half minute or a minute? Take time just to be grateful, will you? For Jesus, for what he's done. And we could list off all the things that he's given us. I don't want you to do that this morning necessarily. Will you take time just to focus in on Jesus? Experience not salvation, not adoption. Experience Jesus. Well, those other things, they'll come naturally with that. But maybe we just take a minute and say, God, this is the intention of my heart this morning. I want to rest in you. I want to listen to you. Oh, I want to be busy about your kingdom. I want to do things for your kingdom. But God, ultimately, it really is only about experiencing you. Just take some time before they sing this last song. Say, God, this is my heart this morning. And by faith, grab a hold of what his spirit asks you to grab a hold of this morning. Will you? Thanks for letting me join you this morning. It's been a blast to to be with you. I've enjoyed it.